Hey everybody, RC Hilly Nation version 3.0. I am Dan. This is episode number 50. All right, see there? The gang is mostly here. We've got the better version of Devin with us tonight. Scott's oh, no, here. no, no, no. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's here, of course. I'm here. I think. At all. Spirit, anyway. And uh, we've got a, we're just going to kind of, there's quite a few of us here tonight, so we're going to quickly go through what we've been up to. Me, it's pretty simple. I've been working my ass off, and that's about it. I do have some pretty big news. Big news. Mm. I'm going to be moving back to Montana. Don't know when. Yeah. Going back to God's country. Uh, at least, at the latest, it'll be early spring. But I'm thinking if a job comes through, I'll be leaving early Elaine will then catch up with me when, uh, when she can in the spring. So we'll see how it goes there. So I'm excited about that. Big life change. Uh, get <laughs> looking forward to getting back to Montana. I got, I'm done with the East coast, man. Sorry. You East coasters. Can't deal with <laughs> yeah. you guys anymore. I got to get the <laughs> fuck out. Yeah. You just couldn't deal with the shiny sweatpants. You know what uh, it is? Yeah, the shiny clothes. And, uh, you just uh, you, you miss the big is? country loving. I do. I miss the big country loving. You know, the one thing that I just can't take anymore that literally makes my blood pressure rise is the commute. Is the driving the sixteen and a half miles from here to work is the most frustrating fucking half hour of my life. Yeah, daily. I bet. Wham- I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Crime you river. I get it. Yeah, but dude, dude, there was no traffic. You're moving to Montana where you're going to raise rabbits. Can you oh, move around there without without papers? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, I no traffic. I yeah. miles to work and 60 miles back. So did I when I was in Montana, but the, the commute was fucking fantastic because there's no Not to mention traffic. your Pennsylvania roads absolutely suck. Uh, 81's no. not too bad at this section. Anyway, neither here nor there. These fucking drivers suck. All right. There. Call me so it's not about distance. It's yeah. about your anger issues. Exactly. It's yeah, about my, I need a fucking delete button on my dashboard. <laughs> I need to be able to delete drivers. <laughs> I had Oof. Just gone. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to really miss flying with you, but you never go flying anyway. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ouch. So, no, I, I didn't even go camping last weekend, so I didn't get a chance to go. We, do, we had to catch up. When you go camping every weekend... There's shit at home that needs, you know, starts to pile up and eventually you gotta get, you know, you, you gotta <laughs> stop and actually get that done. So that's what we did last weekend. Getting ready, you know, getting some mini storages cleaned out. We have two mini storages in the area we gotta get cleaned out. And uh, yeah, just kinda figure out what we're gonna do. That's, that's cool. Huh? Yeah. Getting I think ready for the great. excursion. So that was my week. Exciting, right? 
Who's next? No, that wasn't exciting, Dan. God. <laughs> I'll go next because I'll be quick. Well, All that's right. what she said. <laughs> oh. oh. All right. That's right. I said it, Nick. I said that, it. I'm just ignoring you. Okay. It's probably right. better. I got no fly. No oh, fly. I got no sim. No fly, what? no sim. Work, 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 work. I was in Salt Lake City last week. I flew home Sunday night, was home for 12 hours, and I flew to Nashville where I am today. So it's it's all about work. Uh, but I'm off next week, so I'm going to fly a ton next week. Uh, so yeah, I really, all I really did, hobby related, uh, was get home last night and open a whole bunch of boxes of all of the stuff I bought for the 580 Nitro. Uh, I've got an engine and a pipe and the orange boom for it and uh, pulley to slow it down a little bit and I don't know, a bunch of random mods and ends nitro related. So all that sitting at home trying to figure out when I'm going to build that. But I honestly think I want to focus not just because of tonight's subject, but I'm kind of jazzed by the scale helicopter right now. I kind of want to finish that project Mm -hmm. first and then save the nitro for a winter build. So I think that's my plan. And that is all I got this week. Other than I really, really enjoyed uh, just tons of messages and, I don't know, uh, talking to, to Brian uh, and other friends who were at Nats and Worlds and just kind of trying to keep up on what was going on at Nats uh, when I wasn't working was kind of a nice way to wind down from work every night. So thanks to everybody that posted uh, cool stuff to watch on the internet. And that's all I got. Who's next? Hmm. That was slightly more interesting than what Dan had. Yeah, but, uh, it was infinitely yeah. more interesting <laughs> just a little bit it's the team i don't band. know there's no big country okay loving it. in it i can accept that well i'll go my week was uh i don't know it's pretty full i did all kinds of shit this this last week um kind of the beginning middle of the week uh did my regular going to the park and flying and stuff like that um i had planned for this weekend that just went by we're recording here on monday but this last weekend I took my kids down to the Twin Cities, uh, just south of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. There's a little town called Shakopee, and they have an amusement park down there, uh, Valley Fair. Um, so we were going to go do that the weekend. So uh, during the middle of the week, I was just going to just do my regular fun flying and stuff that I do, trying to burn off uh, what batteries I had charged. You know, I had basically everything charged at the beginning of the week, you know. Um, so had some good flights out uh, the middle of the week uh, with my 570. I, I didn't get out to the park till a little bit late, so it was starting to get sort of dusk. So I just fired up uh, my brights, and then I have these set of uh, big bright LED floodlights on the Jeep. And so I had those set up in front of the park so I could kind of do some dusk-style night flying. So I got about four uh, packs in that day uh, until, you know, it started getting dark enough where, you know, you get up kind of high and you're like, oh, shit, which way am I going? And so then I, I had to come down low and I was like, well, it, maybe it's time to pack it up before I, you know, pack it into the ground or whatever. <laughs> so, um, but that was a good time. You know, I, I like um, flying in, in the dusk and, or at night or when I was in younger, you know, I would fly the micros out and you, by the time I would get home from work, it would be like 630 or seven and I'd get the kids fed and stuff. And up in Northern Minnesota and late summer and fall and stuff, it starts getting dark kind of early. So I got used to flying, doing hovering and stuff under the street lights and this. And I don't know. I think there's just a particular thing that I like about that kind of low light flying. And I don't have a shit ton of light, like a big light rig or anything like that. But it'd be kind of neat to get maybe another set on the Jeep that I could kind of angle upwards, you know, so I can get a little bit more altitude with my light. 
or it just get some external ones, right? That I can hook up to the the truck, and then I could just set them out and fly those last few packs until like ten o'clock or something like that until they kick me out or whatever. But um, I wouldn't fly like all night long with that kind of rig. But it'd be kind of a fun like setup. I like to try to use my Jeep like a like a big tool. In that capacity, it worked out, you know. Um, but I, I wasn't able to get all my batteries burnt off before we went on our vacate little mini vacation. But um, that's all right. I've, I've got something going on with my charger. I don't know what it is, but um, for some reason, I don't know. I did an update to it to try and resolve another issue I was having where I couldn't um, get it to run off my 24, 24 volt power supply setup that I had. It used to be two 12 volt power supplies, they were just daisy chained together um to make uh 24 volts right uh but i kept getting this weird error so i did software upgrade and it seemed like the error went away and i also bought a new just dedicated 24 volt power supply really big one and um it's been working fine but now i just for some reason i can't make it discharge my packs it, it errors out um so i gotta try and suss that out so needless to say i tried to just w- waste all the packs and just burn them all hover or do whatever fly in the backyard and this and that but I still had some left over, which it kind of worked out because when I got back, I could fly again. So on the weekend, we went down to the cities, um, went to that amusement park. It's part of the Cedar Park chain of amusement parks. And so it's got all your normal shit, a bunch of big roller coasters and uh, a water park in there. And um, so I did the two day pass. We went and road rides the first day and went water park the second day. And um, they closed it due to weather. We were in line for like 45 minutes on one roller coaster. And right as we get to the the paddock where you're the next guy to get on the train. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. They're like, yeah, sorry. We saw lightning. So now we have to turn it off. And we're like, damn it. it so, But it worked <laughs> out perfect, though, because we had been talking about, hey, we want to stop after this ride and go eat. So we went and ate and uh, looked at a gift shop. And by about a half hour or so, they fired all the rides back up and we got back in line. We didn't have to wait very long to get back on the train, you know what I'm saying? But um, so anyway, that that kind of sucked, but it just it still worked out fine. Um, so yeah, me, I had a great time. The kids had a good time. Um, my wallet, I think, is still in shock from <laughs> from the vacation because <laughs> right. you know you get inside these places and it's cash, or I'm sorry, it's um, like cashless inside this whole place. So if you try to bring cash, you got they got these reverse ATM machines where you can put it on a card or whatever. And, um, so between doing, cause I brought some cash and I didn't, wasn't aware of that. So between doing that and, uh, just my regular bank card and stuff, I mean, fucking, you know, like a $15, uh, turkey leg or like a nine know, or $10 right? fucking bag basket of fries that, that eats, that whittles away at your funds pretty damn quick, you know? And so that's whatever. We still had fun. I kind of planned for some of that, but, uh, now I'm super low funds till the end of the week when I get paid. But, um, yeah, so we got back on Sunday um it, it sucked though because it was all gloomy and rainy all day so even though we got back like probably two or three i there wasn't any room for me to fly or do anything like that i was itching to fly um so i just went out today actually before we recorded i was able to go out and uh flew six packs on the goblin 570 out there just put on some music in the jeep and um uh just had a good old time uh and then shortly after i got there this guy and his daughter showed up and they had some Traxxas uh rc cars uh, and they were just tearing it up. She's a little eight-year-old girl. And, and I thought that was pretty neat. You know, this guy's teaching his daughter about RC cars and stuff like that. And um, so my first thought, Scott, was about you and your kid, you know, um, playing with the cars and stuff. And I was like, this is cool. And so I flew a little bit. And then, um, you know, he was pretty wild by the heli. And so I asked your normal, you know, 
new person questions. So I showed him how it all worked and explained the cyclic and all that. And um, so went off and did my flying. They were doing their driving and stuff. And it was about where they had to go. Um, and so I asked the guy, I was like, do you think your daughter would have fun uh, racing my heli? And he's like, yeah, dude, I bet that'd be pretty cool. So we set up on one end of the field and I hovered my 570 and she's got this, she was driving her dad's Traxxas and she was actually pretty damn good. And she could just tear this thing full throttle, like up and down this soccer field. Right. Um, and keep control of it and shit. And so I'm like, all right, let's give it a rip. Um, so we go up and of course I just demolished the thing. Right. Um, but it was still pretty fast. Did did you make this girl cry? Did she cry? No, I didn't. <laughs> so, okay. So the first one, the first time we went up, uh, we, her, her dad called it off, you know, three, two, one, go. And I just like, boom, I'm just gone. And she's gone. And she's like, wait, no, I had it at 50%. Cause they have this, they had it set up, a dial set up on their controller where he could turn the power down for her and stuff. Um, so I was like, oh, that's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll come back. So I came back and I hovered again and she came back, got set up, turned her up to a hundred. And he said, go. And I kind of gave it a beat and I let her go. And then I took off. I still, toward i mean think about how many how many more watts i've got available you know what i'm saying um but still she had a great time right before uh they had to leave and whatever so and she um, went home and cried what kind of father are you <laughs> <All right. laughs> couldn't hey, let a eight-year-old girl win dude i tried i tried to let her win on the second one <laughs> i straight up did too i i just didn't give it all the beans you know maybe seven out of ten of the beans were on my stick and but i still kicked her ass <laughs> But anyway, she had a great time. He had a great time. And I ended up plugging the show at the end. I'm like, yeah, you should check out the show. Just Google RC Heli Nation. I was like, we mainly talk about helis, but we got a car guy on the show, too. He likes to talk about cars, too, or whatever. He's like, oh, shit, all right. So, hey, Wait, Scott, you told maybe that we'll... to the kid or the dad? Or... The, I told it to the dad. But uh, okay, the, it I looks like the daughter. a lot for kids. No, no, it's for him. <laughs> it's for him. But, it, I mean, he's he seems to be doing it right. You know, she he was like, yeah, she had this, you know your your like walmart style car or whatever and it broke and he's like no we're gonna do this right and he went and bought her a car that you know if you break an arm an a-arm or something you can just replace it or the shock the shock blew apart on hers while we, they were playing today and we walked around the park and couldn't find we found the spring but we couldn't find the piston part of it and um so he let her drive his around the rest of the day. it was a great time so a good uh 30, milliamps worth of uh fun I just, uh, six packs worth of five thousand milliamps I didn't burn them all the way down, so maybe twenty four thousand. Oh Jesus! <laughs> no, see, yeah, you lost us. You were fine with thirty thousand milliamps of fun. Now we're fun. Now, yeah, no. And also, I got a question <laughs> for you. Rob. All right. Um, I, I'm guessing that you went to a public school back in the day because obviously they didn't teach you the meaning of quickly. No, quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Huh? Everybody's not always been my strong suit. I'm not always very fast. Did that Hello? just go completely over everybody's heads? No, nope. not mine, man. Tough shit. <laughs> I took I took a bunch of minutes. You can clip that shit out later if you want. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with your crash tellies? They all back up in the air? Fuck no, dude. The 600 still sitting here. Uh, everything else is back up in the air, but the 600 still sitting here. I went on vacation. Now I got to get. I got to get paid and pay the man first and then maybe I can then buy, buy him parts. parts. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, who hasn't gone yet? I don't even remember anymore since, since that, um, <laughs> I lulled you into hypnosis here. <laughs> story <laughs> hypnosis. I think I'd go, and go, Scott are left. Yeah. I'd go next, but I can't remember where I am. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Did you just fall asleep for a minute? You just woke up in a nightmare. Fall asleep. Yeah. I was like, damn. 
Quickly, quickly. Why don't you tell us what... uh, All right, I'll go next. All right. I spent the last 10 days flying my ass off, and I'm not going to talk about any of it till next week. How's that sound? (laughs) Can we we just talk about how jealous we are of you? I mean, last time you came on, you're like, I flew for the last 900 consecutive weekends. (laughs) I flew. I brought my camper. I flew from sunup to sundown for three days in a row, and then I went to work for like two hours a day, and now you went to Urcha for 10 days. I got paid yep. to blow shit up, and yep. then I flew my helis. Ten days, man. Ten days. It you was. Were... Uh, it was interesting to watch everything going on. So it was a a little bit like it was kind of like the worst urcha, but the best urcha. It's weird. It's very oh, strange. Now you've really got me hooked. I Ooh. need to know what you're talking about. We're gonna find out. Find out next next week, man. Next week. <sighs> so, such a dick. Yep, I'm setting a it. reminder now. You said sh- you said short and sweet, and I think next week you'll probably have Devin and myself. So. Oh my god! Oh, we hope yeah. so, man. We miss Devin. I, I know. Devin. So did I. It was it was very good to see him. It was very good to see him. So who, who's Devin again? I forget who Devin is. Wait, uh, was that still true after ten days? Oh, he wasn't <laughs> with me. He wasn't with me for ten days. He was only with me for three. There you go. So, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's I was out there by myself from uh, from Friday till Wednesday. So, and then I picked him up on Wednesday. So, it was good. It was good. It was nice. Nice place. Saw a little bit of the town where he's working and where he's hanging out and got to sit around and drink some wicked drinks with him over the last few days. Meet, meet some of his Johns. <laughs> Did you get to meet any of his Johns? I actually know all those guys because they, uh, <laughs> you know they, well, they work, they work 10 minutes around the corner from where I work. So when, uh, when I would stop by, they were there. Now they're spread out because the company Did you get your moved. cut? No, I didn't. No. Oh man, you better. No. no. He's out nope. of pocket, man. <laughs> no, we had a bunch of different people stay with us in the trailer and nice hanging out and eating and hooting and hollering and laughing. So, but it was a, uh, it was good. It was very good. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing about that next week. Yeah, I'm gonna keep it all inside right now. It's killing me, but I'm gonna hold <laughs> yeah. on to it. So. Dude, I want to <laughs> probe you so hard right now, but I can't. Yeah, what, what? kind of probe is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, well, that leaves Scott. <laughs> oh, Speaking of probed. Oh, my God, yeah, I'm broke. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I didn't do anything helicopter-related. I did put a Blade Nano S3 in my shopping cart. And hey, I'm waiting for payday this week to purchase said helicopter. Boom. Nice. Yeah. And I'm going to fly uh, that shit at the uh, the flight line at Heli Extravaganza. The smallest helicopter. Everybody uh, huddle close and watch this. I've been noticing you've been putting a lot of photos up of your your car. You're uh, you're kind of into that bad boy. I've always been into cars. I just haven't had a nice one in a while. Dude, it's nice. Nice car, dude. Thanks. I stoked my, uh, my dad gave me a killer deal on it. There you go. That's all. I just I don't think I would uh have been able to afford one in decent shape if it wasn't for him. So there that was go. super cool of him. Shit. Shit, that was quick. That was quick. Yeah. Fast as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Ten twenty four, do the outro. Let's go to bed. Fast as fuck. Boy. <laughs> Before we do that, I think maybe we should do some news. Do the news. I'm gonna news. do the news. news. 
Sends news. Hear this, hear this, hear this. McToon, shut up for this show. Wow. <laughs> I feel like we should probably announce the fact that we went too long tonight with our interview and therefore the news is pre-recorded and you will hear me just by myself in just a few minutes. Yes, you will. All right, this week in the news, we're coming at you remotely only because our episode ran way too long on Monday night. So picking up the news a little bit late on Monday night after the rest of the crew has gone to bed. You know, Dan, he likes to go to bed pretty early. So sayonara, rest of the crew. It's just me solo. All right, let's talk about Urcha since that was what uh, the big news is in the heli world in the last week. So Urcha, Nats, and Worlds are now all wrapped up. And by all accounts, the events went off pretty well few hiccups and we'll talk about those next week when we do our urcha episode so we'll hear a little bit more about those but for now let's focus on the good things so we're going to talk about some standings in a second but first some other notables uh augie urcha board member managed to pull off having golf carts back at the event again for one a manufacturer showed up in decent numbers to exhibit and the pilot turnout still qualifies it as the largest event in the united states at 367 that number courtesy of urcha board member augie There were tons of competitions to be had, from Nats to Worlds to Bomb Drops, Speed Cup, Drag Races, Amateur 3D, Battle of the Brands, the list goes on and on. Too much to list all the results, but I'm going to touch on a few of them. First up, let's talk about finals for the F3N World, which is the 3D-style precision aerobatics competition. Uh, That had Kenny Ko on top, who dominated throughout every single round, followed by the U.S.'s own Nick Maxwell and Jamie Robertson rounding it up in third place. If you're curious, Kenny Ko was flying a Spectre V2 NME, Nick was flying a modified one in a full fuselage, and Jamie flew a Tron 7.0 in third place. In F3C competition, the Japanese once again dominated with Hiroki Ito, taking the top spot after dominating almost every single route. He was essentially untouchable throughout the event. Uh, Japan also took the third spot in F3C again, and in the Speed Cup, Branton Rivera took the top spot again with an average speed of 276 miles per hour and a highest round at 295 miles per hour. Holy crap. That's almost a 300 mile per hour helicopter. That is insane. Congratulations to Branton. Uh, Other than official competitions, all the usual power hours and showcases took place. From what I hear, the number of non-sponsored pilots there was somewhat disappointing. So here's hoping this is perhaps the beginning of trying to rebuild the event to being closer to its former glory. I do want to also give a special shout out to content creator YouTuber Bill Ann, who was working hard to release videos on the same day they were filmed at the Worlds and other notable flights at Urchin. Honestly, I think personally, if we want to rebuild the event, then real-time, or at the very least, same-day content like that is the way to go. So good on you, Bill. I personally think that the key to doing this in modern times is to bring in content creators and incentivize them to film and release as much as possible, as fast as possible. So also of note is that some manufacturers, such as Makata USA, opted out of the expense of exhibiting this year. The high cost of a spot plus travel expenses combined with the smaller turnouts may mean Urcha may have to rethink the look and feel of the event in the long run in the future. But time will tell. I feel like we're kind of on the edge of that. All right, let's get on to other news. We'll save that conversation for next week. We now have more info on the Goose Guy S1 now after its Urcha release. 
It is in fact similar in size to the Blade 150S and the OMP M1 with a 290mm main rotor disc. It runs on a 2S 300mA battery that you can install without taking the canopy off. It's a friction fit, so for now I'd only recommend using specific Goose Guy batteries in the helicopter, as they will have to be a specific size. No pricing on the heli yet, and no indication as to when pre-orders will open yet. As to how it flies, Ben Storick took one out of the box at Urcha and threw down on one in an epic flight for any size helicopter, let alone a micro-heli. You can find a video of that flight online, but it was pretty damn awesome. Especially considering you could hear how windy it was during the flight. Apparently the winds were 5 to 10 miles per hour, and this is a tiny helicopter throwing down in the middle of that. I'm impressed. I may have to try one of these for a laugh. Uh, others that have flown it report it flies just like its larger brother, the Goose Guy S2. Stay tuned for more info on that one. Another new helicopter shown at Urcha, the XL Power Nimbus Nitro, was announced, displayed, and flown at Urcha as well. It's a 50 size Nitro with a 650mm boom and a 600mm rotor disc. It shares a lot of parts with the Nimbus 550 electric helicopter. Unlike all new Nitro releases, it's coincidentally the lightest in its class. The video I saw of it flying shows it seems to fly pretty dang well. It also looks like it shares a very similar design to its larger Nitro brother, being the Spectre V2 Nitro, with a conical clutch stack that is self-aligning. No indication of pricing or availability yet, but stay tuned for more info on that. World Champ Kenny Ko is teasing a new muffler for the YS96 and OS105. No details yet beyond showing a photo of Kenny's name on the side of the muffler, but we'll be sure and announce them when we know more. It's reportedly very similar to the fabled Hattori pipes, but we're going to have to wait and see. No other news beyond that and what we reported last week about uh, what's coming out at Urcha. I'm sure in the coming weeks we'll have more info, some updates on the Goblin Raw 500, and other helicopters released around Urcha. All right, that's it for the news this week. Let's... uh. Let's see what's up next with our guest. And that was the news. Don't drag it. Yeah, it was amazing. Wasn't that really cool? That one thing that that Nick talked about, that one thing. Dude, I don't know, man. He's fucking awesome. If they make, if week. they actually do that, I I don't know. I might switch. Let's see. Yeah, I feel like the, yeah. that. The, the, way. Just, Is there a date when they're going to release that thing? You do know he talked about um, uh, Heli Direct. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure there was a Nick Maxwell story in there somewhere. Heli Direct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. featured. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else is featured? Who? Our very own Devin McClellan. Oh. oh really? Oh, let's just say he was working I, hard under the midnight sun. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about that. Nope, nothing. You do? I got, he and Rasmus going at it in front of everyone. The two men, oh, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And you Boy. guys haven't heard. You guys haven't heard the best of it yet either. It's going to be good. Oh, we're going to hear the best of it next week, right? Uh, oh, I got to yeah. say, mm-hmm. I watched the video of this thing we're talking about. And I was stunned you didn't have a helicopter to repair. Like, those tail blades were in the grass so many times. Yes, yes they were. Yep, they were, came that back green. That was amazing that heli survived. Is that, a, is that a Bill Ann video, by chance, is it? No. Uh, not, it's not, not Bill Ann. Bill who? Although, Bill gets a little shout out on the news. Oh, yeah. No kidding. 
Yeah, that was a good shout out about Bill and that we just it, heard. There was some jerk. Ago. There was some jerk off on the mic for that. I don't know who it was. Oh, was it you? Of course, it was. I couldn't hear that in the video. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, hmm. yeah. It was good. It was good. Right. And the behind the scenes stuff was even better. It always oh, is. It's juicy. No, no. <laughs> oh, I didn't see the camper video follow up. <laughs> that's on. The, that's on his OnlyFans. Yeah, that's when I was probed. Yeah, behind the paywall. <laughs> All right, we're going to shut these guys up, and we're going to talk about what is coming up here in just a few minutes. A quick introduction here. We have a guy coming on. He does scale helicopters. His name is John. What is his last name? Ellis? Ellis. John Ellis. Yeah, John Ellis, retired full-scale helicopter pilot, master scale builder. Has won a variety of competitions over the years. And he was inspired to become a full... He's going to tell you this story. He was inspired to become a full-scale helicopter pilot after his interest in the the models that he was building back in the early days, in the 80s. Nice. So, without further ado, we're going to get John here. And, John, thanks for hanging out. And uh, here he is, John Ellis. recently finished up a large uh, one-fifth scale Huey from Heli Factory in Germany. Uh, it's been a, a very good build. Uh, the, the pictures of that one have uh, pretty much been all over the world. It's a, it turned out to be a really nice model. Of course, I've been building scale models. Since, Did you say uh, one-fifth? Yes, one-fifth scale Huey. It's about uh, 96 inches long. Uh, it weighs about 54 pounds. Uh, it's a uh, it's a great model, little model. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Little, say little <laughs> model. There are some a lot bigger than that one, though. The AMA actually has three classes for uh, sport scale: the the five eighteen, which is the uh, your top builders, and then they have uh, team scale. Uh, that's the three classes that they're running right now. So, uh, John, I want to just kind of back up a little bit for a second. Uh, so I know you modestly said you, you run a Facebook group, but uh, it's actually a pretty prolific scale group called Building RC Scale Helicopters. Uh, and I've, I've had a chance to, to spend some time there. I've seen lots of pictures of your work. Uh, the reason, you know, that we asked you to come on is that you've, you clearly have a, a large intent to bring more people into scale helicopters. There's a lot of how-tos and tips that you're gracious enough to share. Uh, you know, what made you decide to start that Facebook group and, and want to try and pull more people in? Well, I've been promoting scale for many years. I actually published a book back in 97, I believe it was, Building and Flying Scale Model Helicopters. And uh, I sold that book all over the world. And uh, that was about the time that I pursued my career in aviation and, and went to fly helicopters for a living. But I dropped out of the, the models at that time. And then when I retired in 2010, I re-entered the model field and, and started building again. And there's a lot of guys out there that really love scale, but they don't know how how to get into it and how to do a lot of the little things on building. So I started this Facebook group for the purpose of the beginners to teach, to try to teach them and pass along uh, building techniques and tips and whatever. 
to get them interested in building scale. And it's worked out rather well. I think we're up to about 4,300 members now worldwide. And, uh, of course, we have some great helicopters on there, not just beginner helicopters. There's some helicopters on there from Heli Classics, Heli, uh, uh, Heli Factory, XXL Helicopters in Germany. Uh, if you get on the site, you'll see some beautiful models. And I'm, my purpose is just to help the new guys to, to get interested in, and build interest in scale. That's awesome. We have kind of the same mantra around here. You know, we do a podcast on helicopters to try and, you know, pull more people in and guide the beginners uh, forward. Um, so a, a minute ago, you sort of touched on the fact that you started with, with RC helicopter models and, and that led to a, a, a career in flying full-scale helicopters. What, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the full-scale helicopters you flew? Well, I can. Let me start with where it all began. In 1980, I bought a GMP Cricket, which is a little 25 uh, nitro-powered fixed-pitch helicopter. Uh, there are very few people flying helicopters at that time, so I taught myself how to fly it and finally succeeded after a lot of broken blades in about six months. And in 1983, I went to a contest, and they offered 30 minutes of dual instruction as one of the drawings. And uh, I was fortunate enough to win uh, one of those slots. And I knew just as soon as I got in that helicopter that uh, this is what I want to do. So I pursued my license from that point. Uh, took me about nine months to acquire my commercial license, and I stayed at it. And in 1985, I started flying sightseeing rides in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, in an old Bell 47. I flew it for about three years, moved up into turbines. Uh, flew, I continued to fly rides in Long Rangers and Jet Rangers. And then in 1997, I went to the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, I'm sorry. I went to Atlanta, Georgia and flew for Fox 5 TV flying a, a news helicopter, which was a 206 Jet Ranger. I uh, did that for a while, and then I went to the Gulf of Mexico and worked offshore. And I flew many different models of helicopters offshore, and I retired from there then in 2010. That's awesome. You totally immersed yourself in the helicopters. Oh, yeah, and I owe it all to model helicopters. You know, I wouldn't, I would have never gotten interested in helicopters had it not been for RC. So, uh, yeah, my, I owe my entire career uh, to radio control helicopters. Let's say you run into somebody that's looking to get involved. What are the most common questions that you get from somebody who is particularly interested, no, no, don't really know where to start, but they really want to give it a, give it a try? Where would you suggest and, and kind of give us an idea of what those most common questions are? The first question, uh, most of the time, is are they difficult to fly? And, uh, I, you know, I, I try to tell everybody that if they're flying RC planes, helicopters is a pretty easy jump. But if they're starting from scratch, then it takes a little time. The, the next question then is how much does it cost? Gosh, yeah, it's hard to go there. Uh, you can take your pod and boom helicopter and you can put it in a, a fiberglass fuselage. You can build your scale model in that aspect. Or you can uh, get into Roban helicopters, which I'm very fond of, uh, have built many. Uh, that's an ARF helicopter that's in the 600 and 700 class. Uh, that has really made the scale market appealing, I believe, having the, the Roban models available. Because people can uh, that don't have the equipment 
or say that the paint rooms and, and all the necessary things to build a model, then they can buy these Roban models, put them together in a very short time and, and, and fly. And they're, they're just, they've been great for the scale market. Yes, they're good models. They, they really are. But the scale models, they'll start around, uh, I think their cheapest ARFs around $1,800. And then once you put your electronics and everything and your motor, your ESC, then you're probably up around three. So yeah, it's fairly expensive just to jump right into a scale, but that's the only company out there that, that offers that. You can take your pod and boom trainer, trainer and put it in a fiberglass fuselage and, and, and certainly build, build from that. And you could do it for half the cost. But the, the Roban models are very right. nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, and you get a guaranteed fit. You don't good. have to figure out how to get your mechanics in there. Um, exactly. And it's engineered yeah. also to be out of the way of the cockpit, unlike taking a pod and boom. That's true. So That's how, true. Speaking of that, how did, you, how did you go from your first pod and boom model to your first scale model? Like, how did, how did you decide to enter the scale into the hobby? So once you learn to fly that cricket uh, and figure it out i mean that's the intimidating thing right like how do you get to that first scale model like where do people start how did you start for that matter well back in 1984 i had moved from the cricket to a, a full collective gmp competitor and i flew it for for a little while and then i decided i wanted to try to put it in a jet ranger fuselage and there wasn't many things available at that time in 1984 you might have had five or six different uh, uh, bodies to pick from or configurations to pick from. And I took that competitor and I put it in a fiberglass body. And that was my first scale model. This podcast, for the most part, we live in the 3D world, right? We have a still a sizable initial investment. But when we take off for the first time, we can order any of those parts to replace them if we crash. If something mm-hmm. goes wrong, we go and order it. How do you get over the nerves? You've built this beautiful scale model. You've spent you know, months and months, hours and hours, getting the body perfect and the paint right and the detail right. Is, is it terrifying to take them off for the first time? Well, you're nervous. I'm not going to kid you there. But uh, I've done so many of them now. I'm, I'm really past that point. But yes, for, for the beginners, uh, the first time they lift that fuselage up off the ground, uh, they're going to be very nervous. There's no question about that. But it flies just like... Uh, like their pod and boom trainer, uh, might be a little more stable due to the weight. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not hard at all. I've helped a lot of people learn to fly model helicopters, and they've all had a tremendous time. One of the questions that I've always wondered about scale stuff is, you know, we talked, I briefly mentioned that the different levels of, of scale, fun scale, I think some, some call it, all the way into extreme detailed stuff. When you're when you're talking to someone who's looking to get into it, I mean, uh, first of all, there's a time commitment and a financial commitment to build a, uh, and I'm not even sure what the right word for it is. Uh, you know, uh, you see some of these; they've got the turbines, they've got the cockpits, you know, they got the little pilots inside, they got the the console or dashboards, versus something like you mentioned earlier, where you're just kind of stuffing some electronics into a fuselage. Do a lot of people start that way? And that's, I mean, uh, I, I, I guess that's kind of rec- where I feel like I'd want to start if I, I were to rec- get into it. I don't recommend anybody start flying scale helicopters with an expensive, highly detailed model. Uh, you're just asking for trouble right. there. I tell them to take their trainer, stick it in a fuselage, 
uh, get familiar with how it flies, and they can continuously upgrade that model by adding detail to it over time. And they, and if it, you know, if they don't tear it up, they can eventually build it into a contest winning model. But no, I don't tell anybody to take uh, take these uh, high dollar, uh, highly detailed models out and try to learn to fly on them. That's a big mistake. And some of these models, you know, they're twenty five. Well, what about they're twenty five and thirty thousand dollar models, so there's definitely not something you want to learn to fly. Okay, so I think we're talking about two different things. Uh, so let me just re- kind of refresh that, quite rephrase that question. So a lot of our listeners, you know, are, are accomplished three D pilots can fly really well, whether it's you know at a three D level or even at like an advanced sport level. So you know, we're talking about guys who can fly, but you, you know one. I've tried detail modeling before. Like I tried building those large ass uh, boats, those sailboats. I'm sure you guys have seen them, right? The big ass. I mean, just the knowledge required to, to finish one of those. Right. And the detail work that goes into it, you know, flying it like the helicopter, you know, most of our listeners, except for obviously brand new pilots could probably fly it. But are you setting yourself up for failure if you don't, Take the time. I mean, you know, I guess the no. I'm asking this question. No, I, I understand models. I right? understand what you're asking. You guys that are 3D pilots are fascinating to watch. You're at a skill level that uh, that I will never achieve uh, in flying. You guys could uh, could jump into scale models without any problems. Uh, I've seen it done. Uh, right. And we had a we had a young man at the Nats this year. Uh, I think his last name was Birdsong. He uh, he's a 3D guy, and he just got interested in scale. And uh, his I think his first name was Brian, and uh, he uh, he he's fallen in love with scale. Yeah, he, and he did a great job. And uh, a lot of a lot of 3D guys are getting interested in scale now. Now they can make the jump very easy. Yeah, Brian is a is a friend of this podcast. He's actually been a guest on the show as well for his yeah. F3C competition flying. Uh, yeah, he's, and yeah, I know that he entered the sports scale, which I'd actually yes. love to talk about a little bit. Uh, I've talked with Brian. He's actually going to come on next week and talk to us about his experience. But, uh, Good. what, what is sports scale? Uh, you just, you need a model with, you need a 3D view drawing. Uh, you don't have to have documentation of the full size model that you're representing, but it does help. And uh, you just get out and do the maneuvers, and you're judged on your static scoring for a craftsmanship and uh, and realism uh, to detail. And then you're you're of course judged on your flight maneuvers. But sport scale is uh, is a good class, I think, for for new guys. Uh, the five eighteen requires some some pretty extensive documentation, and of course the detailing in the models in the five eighteen class. Uh, or uh, it's hard to describe some of them. They're they're so nice, and of course you have team scale. Team scale, yeah, that's another good one. You know, you you've got builders out here that love to build, but they're not accomplished pilots, so they can build their models and build beautiful models, and they can get someone else to fly. And that, of course, that's your team scale. Oh, okay, and that gives them a chance to uh, to show off their models. And then, like I said, let somebody else fly until they get to the proficiency level that uh, that they can do. I'm yeah, anxious to that's, meet Brian. That's good. I like because he's 
he's been in our group for a while now. He seems like a very nice guy. I've never met him, but I think he's going to, I'm going to meet him in Hinesville, Georgia, I believe, in about three weeks at a scale, uh, scale fun fly. I believe he's coming to, uh, over there. So I'm looking forward to meeting him. Yeah, last I talked to Brian, he and I fly together in Atlanta. Where, uh, we fly at the same club. And he's definitely coming. I'm hoping to bring my son down to the scale event as well and just check it out for a while because um, I'm based in Atlanta. Uh, and he and I actually bought scale fuselages at the same time. His build finished before mine. I'm working on a, I have an Augusta A109 in the 550 size, so a little smaller that I'm working on. I've got, you know, a lot of it done. I got the retracks done, the lights done, but I still have to get the mechanics in there, but I'm getting there. So, so both, yeah. So Brian competing at Nats has been inspiring for me. I hope to do sports scale, uh, one year than when I get to go to Nats and, uh, it's super fun. So we're both have really been big fans of the building RC scale heli group uh, on Facebook. I mean, man, Dan, you got to see. So the pictures these guys post, I mean, the level of detail on these scale helicopters. And you see these guys post documentation photos of the full-size helicopter. And they're replicating these little cameras or sensors or weaponry on military helicopters I mean, right. down to this finite detail. It's amazing to see. I was going to ask about that. The documentation... Uh, uh, this might sound like a pretty obvious question or answer anyway. The answer might be obvious. I'm assuming the documentation is so if you're building a whatever particular scale model you've chosen, so you can then demonstrate or prove that the accuracy of your build, is that what that's for? That is correct, yes. You want to take pictures uh, as as many photos as you can take of the model that you're going to build. And then when you present your documentation, you want to have each little item that you have built in your model, you want to show it from the full size. That way the judges can, you know, they can judge your building skills okay. against photographs. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, you would love it. Come next year, guys. Uh, we're, we're really planning a, a good meet next year at the Nats. It was a low turnout this year, but now I've got a project going on my Facebook group from the box to the Nats, which is uh, I'm starting with a Vario kit uh, right from the box all the way through building it for competition and explaining the rules as we go and then taking it to the Nats next year to compete with it. And we're getting a pretty good commitment from people to come to the Nats next year so. Uh, it, it will be worthwhile next year, just if nothing else, just to visit the Nats and look at the helicopters, because I expect to see a good turnout. These competitions that you're talking about are there's a is there there's a flight aspect and a I guess modeling judging judged aspect to the competition, or is it one or the other? Yes, there's a printed book and it's full of maneuvers. You have. Uh, and you you pick the maneuver okay. that you want to fly, and you have a collar. You're familiar with that in your 3D flying. Uh, your collar will tell the judges what right. maneuver that you're going to fly, and you get out there and fly the best you can and as most realistic as you can. And of course, you're judged on your flight. I like the sound of that. That sounds fun to me. It really does. Well, I'm, I'm sure all of you know <laughs> I've Tim. Been intrigued by. Is that correct? You know Tim yeah. Tim, Tim Tempiri. Yeah. He yep. flies, yeah. he flies marvelous. He's been flying in scale. I judged at the Nats last year and he flew. And of course I wasn't there this year, but he flew again this year. He is the only one that I've seen that will end each minute, each, each flight round with an auto rotation back to the pad. 
uh, it's it's awesome to watch him fly his jet ring. Yeah, he does a great job. But he's the only one that I've seen mm, do auto wow. rotations and competition. <laughs> of course, he's used to doing them in the that's 3D a, competitions. A, yeah. Well, so are we, but I don't know that I want to try it with a very expensive scale helicopter. I that know, takes right? cojones. <laughs> well, now, well, really, they uh, they probably do them a little better than the light models. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not familiar with what you guys are flying now because you're way above my skill level. But I would think the heavier models, uh, in theory, uh, should do better auto rotations than the real light models. That's always been my experience with my models. I do auto rotations with my scale models. Right. Uh, if the, you know, that's really the first thing you want to do. You want to know that you can save it if it quits running. I tell everybody that's the first yeah, thing to learn. Absolutely. Auto rotation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, we do the same thing in, in our world of RC. Absolutely. Yeah. You said you were from Atlanta. Which one of yes. you are from Atlanta? Uh, did you ever? Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't. I don't know your age, but do you do you know the Fox Five helicopter that flew around with the reporter in it, Keith Callen? You familiar with him? Did the traffic report? I've only been in Atlanta reports? for about oh, I've been there for about seven years now, and I I don't know that okay. I have, but, but no, he's I'm not gone. much of a, a a TV news watcher, more of a reader, so I don't know. Okay. I was just going to tell you, that's the guy that I flew around was Keith Callen. But anyway, back to the models. Uh, yeah, you know, I've got a big, I've got a big Huey. Uh, like I said, weighs 54 pounds. Now I haven't autoed that one yet, but I'm going to. And, but the, with the blades that are, it's got a 110 inch rotor span and the blades weigh about 450 grams wow. a piece. So it should auto great. In, in talking about flying these larger models, you were just talking about a 110 inch rotor disc. Uh, Yes. How do those models fly compared to, say, the 700 size, you know, your typical 3D model? Uh, obviously, they're much heavier, but are they easier to fly when you start getting into quarter scale and, and larger helicopters? Or are, is there anything differently you do when flying them versus a, you know, more typical size helicopter? Well, you have to get used to the weight of the model when it flies, but they're actually more stable and fly smoother uh, than the lighter models. They fly more like a real helicopter. Uh, the big heavy models do. You know, I'd be interested to, to know, uh, I know it, it's been a long, long time, but we used to, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a long time, 10 plus years, right? And I know in the past we've had scale guys on and they would tell us, now, I don't know if this this has changed, but I feel like they were telling us back in the day or at least in the, you know, I don't know, rate mode versus heading hold mode with their tail gyros. Are you guys still doing that? I never use heading hold in my scale models. I, I fly everything on rate mode. I like the yeah. tail. I like a soft tail rotor uh, because uh, it, it's more realistic in appearance. It looks more realistic. Right. Uh, you know, I flew helicopters for 35 years, full-size helicopters, and I've never seen one that the tail didn't wag a little bit or move because the pilot's always is constantly making corrections and changes in the controls, and the tail rotor is always moving a little so to me, that looks appealing. The heading hole locks them in, and I don't think they look as scale with a heading hole okay. on the tail rotor. You know, the last several years, there's been pretty big advancements, or at least the last, you know, I don't know, half a dozen years or so. There's been some pretty big advancements in fly barless controllers and various, you know, the servos. And are you using fly barless? 
Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, we, what, what are you guys? What predominantly are you guys using, or what are you using anyway? I use the Barbarian Three X and all my large models because they have a large model option uh, in okay. the software setup. Uh, but uh, yeah, these uh, the flybarless models. Uh, if you want them to fly nice and smooth, uh, you need to have a flybarless control okay. in it. Now, I do fly without one. On, I have a, a Volcal, a BO-105 that I do aerobatics with. Now, I don't fly with a controller in it. And it it's quicker, more agile without the controller. And that's the reason it's in that configuration. But all my nice, smooth scale models, they all have uh, uh, flybarless controllers in them. And my, my preferred model is the Barbarian 3X. Of course, there's, there's better ones out there, but that's just the one I'm familiar with. On setting up, and it flies uh, flies great. Arrow Panda, thanks you for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Melnick, oh yeah, I've known him for a long time. Yeah. So while we're talking about electronics, do you guys do anything different to sort of protect your investment? Do you run extra receiver packs and a BEC, or or what sorts of things do you do to to you know help avoid electronics failures? I, I definitely run redundant batteries. Uh, I run the spectrum telemetry receivers. And most, you know, everybody out there is pretty much running redundant systems at their big scale, expensive models. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, as far as the receiver just self, I've had a couple of models that have dual receivers, but uh, I don't really think, to me, I'm happy with redundant batteries. Seems to work well. I don't use a whole lot of telemetry, but I do. All right, I got to ask this one, especially because I've been watching your posts uh, as you've applied about 10,432 rivets in the last week. Oh, man. How do you have the patience to get those <laughs> so perfect and so evenly spaced? Well, they're not. You just don't look too close. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I put on as many. I put, I put on as many as I can till, you know, till my eyes start fluttering or get crossed. And it takes a while. It takes several hours to, uh, to do these models. I'm building, I just finished up a big Sikorsky that you're referring to now. And it, it has, uh, many hundreds of rivets I put on with a syringe, a needle and Elmer's glue. So it, it takes a while. Yeah. But the, the end result is worth it. If you've watched some of the pictures, uh, after the paint's been applied to where the rivets come alive, then uh, you uh, you can appreciate the work. Oh, it's a beautiful and model. And of course, for we sure. weather I... everything. No, well, thank you. That has yeah, to be nerve wracking too, right? You get this beautiful paint job, and the model's super well detailed, and now you have to get the weathering on, and you better get it right. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a technique to it. It takes a little time, but of course, you know. The, the biggest thing you can do to a, a, a model is weather it. You know, you gotta, you gotta make it look like a real helicopter. Right. Uh, I spent my life around helicopters and I never saw a brand new one. And every helicopter I saw had some wear, you know, around the, the, the most common areas. And you, when you apply that to your model, then it begins to take on its own, uh, own character and they really begin to look real. And that's that's the whole purpose of building there. But yeah, weather them, so, and it's cheap and easy to do. How much how much time from start to finish do you think you would put into a model that would win a competition? 
Uh, depends on how much time you've got. I'm retired, so I have a lot of time to work on my models. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're working, then of course you have to you have to you know find time to work on them. So that is, I think that would depend on the individual and the time frame that they have to work on. Uh, are you familiar with the big Huey that I've got? I've not there. seen it. No. Okay. It it uh, it is from Germany. It's a heli factory model, and it took me about six months to build it. Now, this H-34 that you're seeing me complete right now, uh, I've been working on it about two months. I guess. So if you've got a lot of time, uh, it doesn't take too long. These Roban models, uh, I built Roban models in two weeks. Uh, and then to weather them, to weather these pre-painted fuselage kits, heck, all you need is uh, some permanent markers of different colors and uh, and just... Start highlighting your panel lines and putting a little silver dot on top of some of the rivets and shoot a little black paint for exhaust soot on the tail boom. And uh, you can make your model look much better than the next guy that hadn't done it. So, yeah, okay. It's not hard to do. I'm lo- What's this one I'm looking at here, Nick, that you had in our group? What is this one? That's, that's the model. So I posted some pictures, uh, John, of the, uh, the presidential helicopter you're working on, uh, was that the AH, did you say 46? Yeah. yeah. V- uh, VH, that's the one John's working uh, no, on now with VH, all the rivets. and. Yeah, it's a VH-34, Sikorsky VH-34. That's oh, the early presidential transport before the Marine One. The Marine Corps took it over, I think, in 1965. I built that one around the John F. Kennedy era. That's when the Army was doing the presidential uh uh, transport. That's why you see Army on this one instead of Marine One. But yeah, okay. it's, uh, I, I'm real. I hope to fly it within the next two weeks. Let's go back and talk about the rivets. Now that I'm actually looking at, mm-hmm. what um, what's the technique? What I mean, they you mentioned a syringe and Elmer's glue. Are they actual little? I mean, they're not real rivets. They're not like you're not no, actually little dots. Little dots of glue. Dots. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Now, Vario makes some plastic rivets that you drill holes. You can drill holes and actually oh put what looks like a real rivet in these pre-drilled holes. But, uh, uh, I, I, no, that's, that's not me. Do they sell? Do they, <laughs> I don't, I do don't they, have the patience to do all those, uh, drilling all those holes. I was going to say, do they pack a bag of crystal meth in there too to get, so you can keep your <laughs> focus for, for, for three days while you're <laughs> drilling 10,000 holes? Well, I ain't going there, but I will tell you that uh, putting the, it, using the glue, it uh, it, it's time-consuming. Okay, so are there reference lines are in, a, yes. in the mold? Are there reference lines? Oh, no, no. Oh, we my start God. With a, we start with a slick fuselage, prime them, and once they're primed and all the imperfections are taken care of, then you take a pencil and a ruler and some tape, and you start laying out your pan, uh, your lines for your rivets. And then you just have to sit down and just turn your tunes on and uh, start wow. putting on dots of glue. No, that's cool, man. That is really cool. That that I like. I like that that kind of stuff. It I really actually, brings a model alive. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Huh. Now, how big is this one going to be when it's all said and done? It looks. I can't really. There's no real size reference here. Well, that it's table. a. It's a Sikorsky. Well, that's an eight-foot table. It's a Sikorsky. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's 84 inches long from nose to tail. How big are those and, wheels? Uh, 
four inches. Hey, I think I think they are. Yeah, I think they're four inch wheels. That's yeah. that's impressive. How in many way of these do you about, have in your fleet? Or not, you know, not this one, but how many total helicopters do you have in your fleet? My big models, I have my Huey. I've got an OH-6, which is a Vietnam-era scout helicopter. Then I've got my H-34 or VH-34 that you see, and I'm building a Roban 407 right now. And then, of course, I've got my big NAS project that I'm slowly working on that I'm doing my article for the Nats next year. It's a big one-quarter scale uh, Vario Jet Ranger. Okay. Uh, it's a huge model. Is there a lot of wheeling and dealing amongst the scale guys? In other words, do you do you move these? Like you'll build one, fly it for a couple of years, and then maybe sell it and buy and build something else? Or we do. how does that work? Yeah, that's the only, we do. You know, that's, that's the only way really the, most of us can afford it. My pockets aren't that deep. So, yeah, right. I keep them. I'll fly them for a little while, and then when I get to wanting to to build a different model, then yes, I will. Uh, I will pass it down and sell it to somebody. Now, how we just had a we just recently did an episode on on selling used helicopters. This feels like a whole new. This is, I mean, I mean, how how do you price that out? Because I mean, how many hours do you have just into this one that I'm looking at right here, the Sorkowski? Well, you're probably never going to get out of it what you've got well, in get it. that. You, you, yeah, you try to get what you have in your cost of material, but okay. at your time, you're you're pretty you're pretty much uh, you're pretty much going to give your time away. Now, there are right. builders out there that that do this for a business, and uh, they make pretty good money doing it too. I've got some friends that build models for other people, and they do quite well at it. Uh, I've never been that lucky. I fly them for a while, and uh, uh, like I said, I try to get what I've got in. I'm not counting my labor on the building. And they move pretty quick. So what about turbine helis? Do you guys do turbine helis? Have you ever done a turbine heli? No, I've never moved into the turbines. I'm, I'm all electric. Uh, but because the turbines cool. are very fascinating. But that's They're another... expensive too, right? I oh, mean, yeah. That's, that's a, another another five to $8,000 investment just, uh, right. to power your model. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. I love to cool, see though. them. Oh, they are cool, yeah. dude. They smell I, awesome. They sound awesome. I I use sound systems uh, in my models. Uh, oh. Really, I think I think they're more realistic than the turbine models because okay. you know the turbine models sound good in the air. They're a little loud to me, but they sound good. But the startup's not the same. Well, these sound okay. modules that we put in these models. Their sound model, modules are made from full-size helicopters, and they sound just exactly like an Allison engine starting up. And it, to me, is much more realistic. And okay. that's I don't think I've ever heard one, is the a sound module. Oh, yeah, they're great. You need to get on there. Get on, get on the group page and go to my OH-6, and I've got a little clip on there called a poor man's turbine, and uh, it's a $230 sound system. And it's the most most realistic sounding model I've got. That's great. You you love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta ask because I've been going down this path myself with my uh, with my scale project, the uh, Augusta A one hundred nine uh, scale rotor heads. So this this was a bit of a learning curve for me trying to find not just the right size that would fit the main shaft, but that fit the size of the model. But some of these projects I see. 
I, I mean, it seems like these guys must have machine shops in their house. I, I mean, how are these guys creating these beautiful, very realistic scale rotor heads? Well, most of them are store-bought. Now, there's very few people that are that are actually making their own rotor heads. Uh, it's it's pretty complicated, you know, and there's some aerodynamics and some physics involved, and uh, uh, it's it's not easy to make a rotor system. And most of them are are made by other companies, and then guys just buy them in either ten, twelve, fifteen uh, millimeter main shafts, and then you of course you have to buy the proper blades for your model. Uh, you know, the length of the blades and they all fly very good, especially when you uh, couple them up with a, with a good fly barless controller. Uh, and the, the rotor heads, you know, that's part of your scale, uh, points in your static scoring is the rotor system. So it, it, you can, you can do much better in competition if you have a scale appearing rotor and they most all so fly well. So speaking of buying things for scale helicopters, where where are some stores that people can start to look for for scale fuselages for you know scale rotor heads you know parts and accessories uh, the electronics are obviously a lot easier to find everywhere but uh, what are some good scale specialty online stores? Well, I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, of course your fuselage kits right now, uh, Heli Direct, they're a big importer for the I think they pronounced it Fusimo or and the funky fuselage. Uh, kits. There are two very nice manufacturers. Funky's been around for many, many years. The Fusimo fuselage kits, I believe, used to be Marvel Craft out of, I think, Australia or New Zealand or somewhere. But uh, And that's the only place that you can buy those now unless you order them yourself from overseas. But Helidrex's a, a big supplier of those two. And, of course, Roban sells some fuselage kits also without mechanics. And uh, they're they're pre, all pre-painted and very nice. The other two that I mentioned, you can get them in just a primer in case you want to paint yourself, you know, and do it all yourself. Building. What, what about those Heli Factory kits and the Vario kits and Roban? Like, where where do you buy those? Uh, we have importers here. You have uh, Heli Workshop and Peak. Uh, Vario Peak Aircraft that are Vario uh, distributors here in the U.S. Heli Factory is uh, distributed through uh, Chuck Bird at Peak Aircraft also. Uh, of course, Heli Workshop, they uh, they import the XXL helicopters, which are, some of those are one-third scale models. But Heli Factory is a fine company. They uh, I'm very impressed with their Huey. It's the nicest kit that I've built in my 40 years of modeling. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of leafing through some photos of, uh, as we're talking of some scale helis, man, I had, I had, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've seen some, like I remember going to Urchin and they, you know, the scale guys would, would do their demonstrations there. I'll, I can't remember where it was. It seemed like it was pretty close to the main flight line anyway. Yeah, I did. I did demos at Urchin last year at center stage up there. It was a lot of fun. The biggest crowd I've ever flown in front of. It was a, a little nerve wracking, but it, it was a very enjoyable. So where do you go? Where I mean, is there like a reference for someone who might be interested in understanding better the maneuvers for these competitions? So, it, you know, maybe they could try to start doing them with their pod and boom before they built a, a scale heli just to see if it was something they wanted to try. Is there a is there a an authority on that topic or is it where where do you find that information? Well, 
you can get uh, the book of maneuvers. Uh, you would really just about have to go to the CD of the Nash, Daryl Sprayberry. Uh, he can provide a list or a book of maneuvers that, that are flown in the competition. Now, Daryl and I are working together for next year uh, to put on some regional scale events to help the new guys kind of, you know, get their feet wet without jumping in and, and to test the waters to see if they want to compete. And right. we hope that that will, uh, will bring some more interest into the scale community and, and, and certainly uh, help the Nats next year in participation. So, uh, yeah, and of course, you know, we're all just a phone call away. My group is out there just for the purpose of helping these guys. And uh, we, can, uh, we can explain the maneuvers to them. This helicopter that I'm building for the Nats next year, we'll be explaining the rules as we build and we will get into the flight maneuvers and have all those posted. But as far as being able to acquire them, you just about have to go through Daryl Sprayberry, okay. who is the CD of the Nats. Well, just so you know, I'm anxiously awaiting my pending approval. <laughs> so whenever you get around to it. Speaking of teaching people, so obviously you're doing a ton to give back to the scale community and share your methodologies, methodologies on, on the Facebook group. But who taught you? Nobody. There wasn't anybody flying model helicopters in 1980. Uh, there, there was nobody in my area. Uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, his dad, before he passed, his dad flew uh, old Gropner models. I don't know if you're familiar with those or not, but they were mm -hmm. manufactured back in the middle 70s. And he actually got his son, who was my friend, involved in models. And, of course, uh, my friend talked me into getting one, and we just, we just taught ourselves how to fly. We didn't have anybody to to help to get any help from it took a while I guess we I, broke I, a lot apart uh, sure i guess i should rephrase i don't mean so much learning to fly who taught you all of these scale modeling techniques you know how to weather That's, how to yeah. paint how to do rivets how do you learn that i mean obviously you're yeah. teaching now through this facebook group but who taught you a lot of it Just i had to learn on my own now uh, there was a gentleman from the uk lynn mount who has always been an in, an inspiration to uh to all scale builders, especially back in the uh, early 80s, because he was building some really nice scale models. And we watched him and would read about uh, his techniques and how he was doing things. And, of course, we started on our own doing it, and we had to learn a lot by ourselves, just through trial and error. And everything worked now. You know, everything worked well, but now we certainly made our share of mistakes. Yeah, we learned a lot, and we just try to pass along the good things and uh, try to forget the bad ones. <laughs> I've always really enjoyed that kind of stuff. Like, I, I never I never took the plunge, but I've always, was, uh, you know, when it comes to, to modeling, I've always enjoyed things like Model Railroad, and, and you know, I've always enjoyed that, the attempt. I never really took the plunge in a in a way where I actually built my own, like, a huge layout but you know that's all part of that trial and error stuff it's um you know the, the weathering that nick was talking about and th i think that's the stuff and nick i don't know in your mind just asking the question do you think that maybe that if yeah i know you've talked about scale i've talked about scale but i think that's that part of it kind of scares me a little bit because the last thing i want to do is get a scale heli going get 90% done with it and just fuck something up. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, 
I really messed this this uh, whole thing up. I think that's that's a little intimidating when it comes to scale, Hallie's. It's happened, especially in painting. You know, you right. can spend hours and hours putting rivets on and don't and don't apply your paint properly. And then you have to start all over again. It's uh, it, it's very frustrating. Uh, I've only had to do it a couple of times, but I have. And, you, you know, there's tech. <laughs> There's techniques in 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 this painting. You got to be very careful. It's all in preparation, right? And you got to be very careful. Once you get this thing sanded, don't touch it anymore with your bare hands. You know, you if you scratch the top of your head or something else and touch your fuselage, then when you spray that nice paint on there, you're going to end up with what they call a fish eye. Yeah. And only only way to correct it's to sand it down and paint it again. So yeah, you, you got to be very you got to be very careful. I have this weird thought process like you know you're talking about drawing your reference lines and you 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 rivets and you end up doing that for hours and hours and hours and you take a step back and you realize that you're off by a degree or two you know oh, it's yeah. just like oh. yeah yeah well i'm i'll be i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you i've been fooling with these things for many years i've yet to see a judge measure rivets and panel lines Okay. So you you, you have a little flexibility there but you do want to get them as close as you can get to your reference photographs of the full size, right, that's but you don't cool. have to. You don't have to be perfect. Now, if you're right. doing museum quality work, that's a little different. Right. It's not that bad. Yeah, that's exciting. You'll, you'll love it. Yeah. I, I actually have always threatened I'm, I'm to anxious, get into it. I'm anxious to see more of you 3D guys getting into and uh, getting into scale because now you guys do a great job. Just like Tim, you know going to the Nats and ending his routines with an auto rotation. Uh, that's quite <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Quite impressive. Do you have anything else, Nick? But I've enjoyed it. I mean, I know. I mean, I, I really appreciate the invite to come on and talk about it. I've had a good time and I love helping guys. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there for anybody that wants to learn and, uh, just about everybody is really, but, uh, you know, the group page is, uh, is doing very well on helping guys get established and get into models. We're just at, we're out there just to, you know to promote the scale community and and get guys involved in it. Yeah, I uh, I just want to add, man, how much at you know some of these three D fun flies. Uh, I, I think there's some of them where the scale guys stay away, and there's some where they come in force. And I just want to say, as as a predominantly three D guy, we love when y'all come out to fun flies. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, been yeah. there's been times at Dragonfly where Mark shows up and he pulls out his trailer. And the whole flight line will land. Like literally everyone landed when he pulled out his dual rotor Chinook and flew that because we love watching it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's amazing awesome, to see. We appreciate it. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Uh, Mark's so a great guy. Keep coming to Fun Flies. Uh, thanks for sharing your oh, time yeah. with us, man. That, that was, it's hey. great to hear. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Join us. Was he out at Ur- was he out at Urcha? Not this year. No, no. not this the year. Scale Many scale. other years, but not this one. I was camped right next to uh, Daryl Sprayberry, and he was he was so trying to get me to fly that Bell two twenty two. He was like, he was like "Come you? on!" I I did so much stuff. I I oh my god, it was crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy. So fixing stuff, flying stuff. It's oh, uh, it was. You're a busy good. boy. Did he, I'm, I'm trying. I'm really trying not to say anything. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, guys, stop out. probing him. We're gonna probe him next week. <laughs> it's really, it's really tough. So I even, I even went over and watched some of the worlds, some of the F three, blah blah blah. Um, yeah, wow. it was, yeah, that was. I was like, wow. There's some good flights. Stop talking was, about no, it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, John, thanks for coming, hanging out with us and uh, kind of a quick episode. Uh, we got to wrap this one up a little bit. We had a little bit of technical difficulty that kind of gave us a late start, but uh, we're going to make the most of it. But before we head out, probably do some emails. Two, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how do I touch you? Just come on down to our fun fly, <laughs> September 15th. <laughs> Just touch give him a little tickle. A little tickle. <laughs> Anyway, I'm assuming you're on Facebook somewhere. I am on Facebook. I am on Facebook. <laughs> catch me at the catch me at the next fun fly. That's the best one. We'll be at like yeah. a whole bunch of different ones. Heli X we're going to. Uh or no, yeah, Heli X. We got uh South Jersey Heli's Gone Wild. We got what else? Fall Mowdown. We got RCHO. And we might stick one of them in Florida somewhere in there too. So maybe. Who knows? So that's crazy. How about you, Scott? If I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do it? Well, I am I am actually being a good person and answering my emails. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can shoot me an email at scott at rchnv3.com. And I'm going to try and make a point that every day before we record, I will check my emails. I did that today and I there was pleasantly go. surprised. <laughs> All right, Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do it? All right. If you've got an extra bunk in your air-conditioned camper you want to share at HeliX on Saturday night, you can reach me at nickwisdom at rchnv3.com. Struggle snuggle included? Oh, yeah. That was a snuggy no. plug there. <laughs> no struggle no. snuggle? <laughs> no. No, I'm still just trying to figure out where I'm going to crash Saturday night on HeliX. All right. If you wanted to get in touch with Devin, you can do that at Devin at rchnv3.com. He's also on Facebook under, I don't know, something, Junior McToon or something. I don't know how to find him, but if you wanted to find him, you'd be able to do it, right? Spawn of McToon at Hotmail.com. Spawn. I actually called him that on the mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I <dude>. love it. <laughs> You're welcome, Devin. Like, I'm Dan. You can reach me at Dan at RCHNV3.com. Also, check out our Facebook page. WW, I guess that's not a Facebook page. It's uh, RCHNV3 on Facebook. I don't know what it is. But just search RCHN and you'll find it. Okay. On the Facebook. Professionals. professionals. Let's see. Do we miss anybody? How about you, Rob? Last but not least, what do I got to do yes. if I want to reach out and touch you? Well, um, so if you want to get a hold of me, what you want to do is you want, well, so because we got to get Devin back in the mix and hopefully he'll be here next week and he can give me your your questions. So what you got to do is you got to locate his 20 and then wait till the middle of the night. Get yourself some honey and some sparkly glitter. And I want you to write your message on your chest and honey and then roll around in the glitter so it sticks on there and then stand in front of a really bright light outside his hotel window. Uh, so that the glitter message shines back to him and he can read it and want to come back and participate in that. And uh, so, but if you are allergic to honey or you're afraid of bees will be more interested than Devin will be. 
Uh, you could just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook at nextgenrcfb, Instagram at nextgenrc, or youtube.com slash nextgenrc. Well, I'm not going to lie. That was a little lackluster, Rob. I feel yeah. like you kind of just phoned that one in. <sighs> I just want it to be sparkly. They all can't be winners, dude. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah. You're good. Okay. I'll forgive you. Okay. This time. You'll make yeah. up for it next week. That's yeah, all. you'll figure out something. All right, guys. Well, we sure hope you enjoyed listening to this week. This oh my god. What? 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 You Where just dumped some the ending right into the 50. ground. Fifty. <laughs> Mulligan. Fifty. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. We will <laughs> see you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, 50 Bye. for a show is like one year what? almost, but 50 for life is like colonoscopy level eight. I didn't mean what I said about Pennsylvania. What'd you say is about Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania? I, I said to the worst baby. state, and I realized that that's fucked up. There's other states that are far worse. Yeah, are there on the East Coast? Coast. Yeah, like North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> that's boring. As I just fuck. don't want it. There's so many jokes. I was gonna say. I mean, there's Canada, which is more than just a state, obviously. But then I didn't want what Daryl Weens Wines Weens Wains to get mad at me. Is it Daryl? Dev? Wang. What is his name? Wang. Daryl. Dan. Darren Wang. Darren's Wang. Darren's Darren Wangs. Yeah, I didn't want him yelling at me. Okay. Yeah. So Dan chi- Dan dumb thumbed the ending into the ground, and you just chicken danced that joke all over the place for us to watch. Yeah, but y'all spoke over my question, which is serious: is is a colonoscopy technically FPV flying? Ooh, like that's that's yeah. like Jack Handy deep thoughts. Like that's a SNL skit right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it probably gonna, is because you know FPV flying is the shit. You're gonna need a Korea for that shit, bro. <laughs>